All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wandering Bear Sports Podcast, the number one sports podcast, maybe on earth. Maybe not, but if we keep saying it, hopefully we will get there one day. Welcome back. It's very good to see everyone. You all look fantastic. I hope you've been well. Firstly, if you're watching this on YouTube, can I please ask that you subscribe to the channel and you uh, like and share the video. If you are listening on Spotify or Apple, please like it, rate it, share it, follow it, subscribe it, whatever you have to do. That would be very much appreciated. Uh, The more people that we do that for, the more people we can get to look at and listen to this podcast. If that little bit of dribble there just made sense. Yeah, so let's just get into it. Today's episode is brought to you by the terrible people at Caffeine Gum Australia. So Caffeine Gum is a company that Kate and I own. And it's the only way that we make money through this podcast, just doing a little bit of advertising with that. Um, It's something that I discovered when I was playing for the Melbourne Rising in the 2015 NRC. I've told this story many times, but we, for some reason, had a 7.30 p.m. kickoff on a Thursday night in Manly, and we left Melbourne at 6 in the morning. So long day, get to the ground, very tired. The strength and conditioning coaches walking around holding these blue packets. I'm like, what is that? He goes, are you, are you a caffeine guy? I'm like, yes, I'm a big caffeine guy. He goes, all right, try some. Just try some. I had one. And I went from wanting to be asleep to wanting to run through a wall. And I even I think I even played 80 minutes that night, which is incredibly unusual for me, as anyone who ever watched me play rugby would know. And uh, so that's it. That's where I discovered it. Came back into my life a few years later, uh, started distributing it. And now we are being used by a bunch of AFL teams, nearly every Super Rugby team, a bunch of Shoot Shield teams, a bunch of NRL teams. Kayak Australia, there's a couple of professional cricket teams that buy it. So it's going really well and it's awesome. It comes in three great flavors, 100 milligrams of caffeine per piece. Uh, I have it before I do jujitsu in the mornings. And yeah, so check it out www.caffeinegumaustralia.com. All right. This week's episode is with the one half of the shoot shield coaches of the year coach of the year coaches one half coaches i don't know the right way to say it, but he got he got an award the david brockhoff medal for the coach of the year mr scott bubba coleman and as crazy as 2020 2021 and 2022 have been bubba has had the added craziness of building a rugby club from scratch the wildfires had existed previously, but for the latest iteration, starting from scratch, going through recruiting, um, getting all the facilities in place, getting the identity of the club, the game model, the coaches, and we had a really good chat about it. I got a little bit of an insight into what went on up in Newcastle this year and was really impressed by how engaged all the players were and, and some of the work that they are doing up there is is very impressive and the vision that they have for what they want um, the hunter wildfires to be is um it's a very good one so i think people will enjoy this episode bob is a great guy he's a lot of fun to talk to and there's some really good insights in this one for young coaches so yeah let's just leave it at that so without further ado please enjoy this conversation with mr scott bubba coleman Okay, we're live. Mate, thanks heaps for doing this. I was just explaining offline. Um, I, actually, I didn't explain this part. So I did <laughs> season one and probably the 2022 season got the better of me. So I thought, you know what? Good time to start season two. And um, who better to start with than the Shoot Shield Coach of the Year, Mr. Coleman? How are you, sir? <laughs> uh, very well, thanks, mate. Very well. Yes, I'm probably as surprised as a lot of your listeners to win that award, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> mate, were, you, were you at the at the ceremony? Were you expecting it? Like, was it a bit of a surprise? <laughs> yeah, it was a massive surprise, to be honest. I was, uh, I was there more having a good time, to be honest. We... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, me and a few of the players went for lunch at twelve o'clock, and then caught the train down. And yeah, we'd yeah we'd have probably a fair 
fair share of beers that we probably shouldn't have if I knew I was getting that award, that's for sure. <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, it is what it is. And it's definitely an honour to get that. It's voted on all your peers and your, your opposition coaches. But um, yeah, as every coach knows, it's not a one-man show these days. It takes lots of people to make a club and make it flow, that's for sure. And um, pretty cool doing it with Hedge as well. He's a good mate of yours. And you, you actually got the better of him the last time. <laughs> yeah, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll get to stay on that too because he's mic dropped it and left the competition. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll live with that for a while now. I think, I think that's for sure. Mate, hey, one of the one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is is starting a new club. So the last couple of years, 2020, 2021, were just fucking crazy. I, I, I can't put it any other way. It was a crazy couple of years, and then you've. If anything, I think 2022 has probably been crazier. Um, certainly for me, if it felt like you were sprinting a marathon the whole time. Yeah. But, but for you, you've you've had to deal with the last couple of years, but you've also been starting a rugby club kind of basically from scratch. I know the wildfires existed previously, but how how did that all come about when, when the Shoot Shield agreed to put the wildfires in and, and what were the first steps and how did you approach it to start with? Uh, it was, to be honest, when we first got the invite, it was 2020 and the NHOU, our local competition here got called off. Uh, the Shoot Shield was 11 teams and they said, oh, look, let's invite Newcastle in as a rep, a rep team and try to get even amount of teams. So we took up the challenge with four weeks' notice and to say the least, we were well underdone. Like it was a local rep team. There was no players brought in. Uh, we had four weeks to prepare. Uh, it was a good experience. It was definitely opened my eyes up to how, how much rugby can get better, that's for sure. But, yeah, we enjoyed that year. Obviously, got cut short as well. It was only a, I think it was only eight or nine round comp. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, I sure. think it got to like eight and then they called it. Yeah, yeah. So, we we, we definitely didn't compete that year. We, we had fun and I think we were lucky enough to beat uh, I think we beat Penrith and maybe Parra, but I'm not sure the first year. I can't, it was all a bit of a blur. And then from then on, uh, 2021, we were told we might be allowed in. And uh, we. So it wasn't guaranteed. So it wasn't guaranteed at that time? No, no, it definitely wasn't guaranteed. And then it wasn't until uh, September, oh no, it might have been even November. Uh, the shoot should said, yes, we'd like you to be in. Then we as a club had to go back to our local competition, the NHRU, and get acceptance off them to let us do it. And, yeah, it wasn't – maybe it wasn't explained properly to them or, yeah, it mucked around and we really didn't get told till February that we were in in 2021. Okay. So, yeah, we had no no real pre-season that year either. A few of the guys that were yeah, living on the dream and hoping it would happen – we probably had 22 players training pretty hard, but we still, yeah, weren't confident that we're in until February. Then it was all systems go. And obviously 2021, we recruited, I think it was 14 extra players in from out of the area. And there were some high quality players there, that's for sure. Henry Stowers, yeah. uh, OJ Noah, like some really good footballers, Nate Dettiri, uh, Kurt Tafunga, all these guys that have gone on and played professional rugby. Um, even Joe Tamani come from Melbourne. He came. He started the season with us in second grade, then went to first grade, and now he's playing Super Rugby with Drua. So there was lots of good, feel-good stories out of it, but it was still very rushed and underprepared, to be honest. But then, so so in twenty twenty one, did you know that you were going to be in twenty twenty two as well? So you had a bit more time to prepare. Yeah, is that how it worked? No, it wasn't until the end of twenty twenty one that we got the three-year license off the shoot shield. They said they'd give us 2021 as a probation to see how we went. Yeah. And I believe, I'm not sure, but obviously Newcastle rumours, you don't, yeah, you take them with a pinch of salt. But I, we were told there were some Sydney clubs that weren't 100% supportive of it. Um, then we got the go-ahead towards the end of that 2021 season and then we knew we had, we've got three years now to prove ourselves. Yeah. But just the relationship with the local clubs, how have you managed that? 
Uh, it's definitely got better this year. I believe uh, the tide's turning and some of the clubs are not seeing us as an enemy. Uh, we're not here to take all the good players out of the local comp and bring them to us. All we're providing is a choice. So on average, every other year, we're losing anywhere from 12 to 15 of our best kids age 18 to 21. We're losing every year to Sydney. So now we give those kids a choice. Yes, we're still going to lose three, four or five, but the kids that don't want to live in the Sydney don't have to go now. So they can stay here, still play a really high level of rugby and don't have to leave mum and dad for another two or three years. They can live in the comfort of Newcastle, which is obviously a lot more cost effective. But and not only the Novocastrians, it opens up to those country kids as well. So, yeah, I really believe it's a a really good thing. And if we can get it working together even better than it is, it's going to be a massive step in the right direction. I, I We've talked about this in person, but I, I definitely, coming from Coffs Harbour, if the wildfires were something that I could have gone to, I probably would have. And I know a lot of country kids would have as well. Yeah. Um, but I, I kind of see, and obviously I'm not speaking uh, for you or for anyone, but I could see the wildfires almost becoming like the team that all the country kids go to if they want to be aspirational rugby players. Is, is that how the club's seeing it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's. we've obviously got to build credibility, uh, professionalism and that on and off the field. But I believe once we get that, it, it could become that. But it's also, yeah, and we're not, we're definitely not aiming to do all that. We just want to give kids choices that, now they don't have to live in Sydney. A lot of country kids, even Newcastle kids, are scared of Sydney. So you can live in the – I explain Newcastle is a big country town on the coast. It's You can get from one side of Newcastle to the other in 10 minutes. So yeah, look, it's a fantastic place. I've, I have not had a bad day every time I've come <laughs> up here. Or not. Yeah, or not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the first couple of years – um, I, like when you start a new club, you got to you're trying to build a culture from scratch, style of play and identity. You got to get all the community behind you, and yeah. I, I could imagine that would have been really hard considering the lack of clarity leading into it and kind of the last minute nature going into it. Did you was it a case the first couple of years that you were just on the treadmill, just sprinting, trying to keep up, and then 2022, you actually managed to get some of the stuff you'd planned in place. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, them first two years were a blur. Like, I honestly can't remember too much of it. It was, you're always, uh, you didn't have enough time to plan. You were constantly going to meetings, crisis meetings, different things about explaining why you're doing it, what's the logic behind it. And looking back at that, that wasn't done very well with our local community here, our local rugby. It was uh, dribs and drabs. It was never enough information given out to all the clubs. Obviously, a lot of people have got their own preconceived ideas and come up with different things. And the lack of information you give someone, they'll naturally think the worst and just come up with something else to justify why they're thinking that. Yeah. And then, yeah, as I said before, Newcastle rumours start to go through the windmill and come out and, yeah, they get distorted. But, yeah, it was, yeah, it is what it is. And looking back at that, yeah, I think the club and different people would have done things a lot different, but it is what it is. And then from, it was practically October 2021 when you were in for three years, it was all go. And practically from that date onwards, it's been a lot of planning and a lot of things done a lot better. Um, still looking back at my review on this season, there's lots of things I would have changed and done differently again. And myself as a coach, you're you're always learning. Like, you know, I'm the first one to put my hand up. I don't know everything or, yeah, a lot of things I'm learning on the run. And, yeah, it's been a massive eye-opener to me. What, uh, without giving away everything, because um, we want to keep it as close to our chest as possible, <laughs> yeah. what, um, what did you learn from this year? I mean, I've been in the shoot shield for 16 years now, and this was the craziest year by far, yeah. considering the rain, the competition, how close it was, COVID, flus, everything that went into it. What did you take away from this year? For us, to be honest, as a club, the biggest thing we've taken away from it is planning. And still, as you said, we're literally starting a club from scratch. 
So the biggest word that gets spoken about in rugby is culture. Like we don't have a culture. We're starting a culture. And to me, culture's, yeah, it's a word. Like I think action's a culture. Like it's just that general, a new player comes to town, he knows there's history here or different things. We just don't have that. Like you speak of, yeah, I keep going back to that word culture, but um for example, like we've now, from our season review, we've come up with a little catchphrase. It's, it's an old one. The, the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. So as a player, like when I interviewed a lot of my players, they're saying, oh, I didn't feel comfortable pulling that guy up on that. I said, why not? He said, I've only been here a year. So we've all only been here a year. There's, yeah. there's nothing else. Like, he goes, oh, there's a couple of guys who are locals and stuff like that. But until we get that five, six years old, the guys have been here a long time or our cults have come through and know how it's done. It's, yeah, we're making it up as we go. So, and that's a unique thing to do as well. So we're in a position that we can set good standards, but we as a whole have got to drive them. It's, um, it's funny being an outsider and then seeing the wildfires and then actually coming into it this year. And I, I had a lot of people say to me, oh, you guys must've been happy with how the season ended up because they were comparing off the last couple of years. Yeah. But I, I can remember standing on the field with you after the Gordon game. Yeah. You just had this great win, but feeling bitterly disappointed. Yeah. How, did, how did you how do you look back on it as as a coach? Obviously there's plenty of good to come out of it, but was it was it a bit of a sense of disappointment and what could have been? Yeah, it's definitely disappointment. Like you can go through Human nature, you go through and pat yourself on the back, all the good things and things like that to make yourself feel good. But when you break it down, we yeah, we just we were disappointed with our season this year. We had we had goals to make the semi-finals. Yes, we were close, but everyone talks about how close the competition was as well. But yeah, we just weren't good enough. And uh yeah, I go back to that Gordon game. I think it was 12 minutes to go. We were down 21-6, and the guys knew they had the win with a bonus point going into the game. And for them to achieve that, and, yeah, I was lucky or unlucky enough to know the result of the other game as the game was going on. We're obviously watching the East game on our phone, which is awesome from Stan to provide that. But, yeah, like, and I think it was four blokes. The, most of the team went and hugged on the field, as you do when you win the game. Four blokes ran to the bench, going, we're in, we're in. And, yeah, to be able to stand there and have to tell the boys, no, we're not, we didn't make it. Well, that was heartbreaking. Like, and as you know, when we got back into the sheds, I carried on like a big silk. I couldn't even talk. I was a blubbering mess. But, uh, yeah, there's so much emotion and so much time and effort goes into these kind of things for a season. And not only myself, my family, but you see what the individual players do, how much they give up. And look, I've got guys in my team that have got kids as well or guys that have moved from out of town. Every kid, every personal player has got their own story and, to even get success, you have to give up so much to get there and, yeah, to come so close and not get it, it was shattering. It was uh, disappointing and, yeah, we, we were hurting, which is, in hindsight, it's probably a good thing because, yeah, we've got 23 guys training now. Like, they're already they had two weeks off. One week you probably wouldn't say it was resting. One week was having a good time. <laughs> but, yeah, then they had a week off and... Yeah, they're all chomping at the bit to go again, which is pleasing. And yeah, now, now I've got to start to look at burnout as well. So there's lots of other factors you've got to weigh into it. It's um, yeah, it was a weird feeling. Like it was a, it was an amazing win. Like any other game, you yeah, through the, you know, through the moon, happy about it. But then knowing that we knew the result already, it was just yeah, it was very strange. But um, um, what I was gonna say. Coming into the group, you could see how engaged the players were. And there was this really sort of tight cultures, as you said before, cultures a word you threw out, but you could really see with some of the senior players, they're really driving it. Yeah. From particularly in the forwards. Obviously, I spent more time with the forwards than the backs. How did you how did you go about cultivating that? Because you know, you you didn't have a huge coaching staff. Um, and you pretty much there was Sharpie and Margo coaching two, three teams. Yeah. How did you how did you get that player buy-in? Because it was quite impressive as someone coming into it. Yeah, it was um, well, a lot of it was done done in our preseason. 
we had, I don't know, like I've been quite lucky. I brought up in a really good family. Um, my dad was in the football our whole life. Like we were brought up on it. Uh, my dad was, he's an out there kind of guy. He was really into accepting everyone, wanting to change people, wanting to bring people into our family or even into our community and let them achieve whatever they wanted. So obviously that kind of stuff rubs onto all of, off on all my brothers and myself. Uh, but yeah, we, I was lucky enough. I went down a few times to the Waratahs and watched my older brother do it with what he was trying to create. They were obviously coming from the bottom and hadn't won a game. So I was pretty close with my brother. So we spoke about how he was trying to do it and I tried to manipulate it a little bit. The big thing I found was they're in a professional environment. They see each other eight hours a day or eight hours out of five days a week kind of thing. So I had to simplify my how I was doing it here. But the big thing I got out of his preseason was Sharon's caring. And it really hit home with me that if you can actually open up to another individual on your, your story of life or what, what your why is or who is who is important to you, it really and the guys actually buy into it and listen, like it, yeah, you create a really good bond there and opens people up. And then we went into a boot camp where we trained pretty hard for, I think it was 14 hours. And then we ended up back at our president, John Dutton, <laughs> Brett Sutherland. <laughs> yeah, so those places He's got a really nice farm up the Hunter Valley. And we went up there and had a massive feed and a few beers that turned into a couple of loud ones. But we sat around the fire there, which is, yeah, the Bushman's TV. And, yeah, we, had, we brought out the chair again and the boys were like, oh, no, not again. And, yeah, then we spoke about resilience or uh, your hell story or what's, what's been really hard for you. And, but it was magic. It, uh, I won't go into too much detail what was said at those things, but there's lots of personal stuff that grown men would normally never say in front of anyone and it really opened it up. And I think that bond that the guys got from that weekend really drove us home the whole season. Yeah, you could, you could really see it. There was, like, I, I particularly with the forwards, they they were very driven. The senior players, particularly, were leading the show. Like guys like Rob and Phil Bradford, I thought two very very good rugby players and good people as well. But yeah. great leaders to have in a team. What about the identity as a wildfire? Like I think it started to take shape a little bit this year with a really good mall, good forward pack, you know, strong kicking game. Do you think that that's something that's going to evolve as the wildfires progress, or is it kind of molded to what's working in the competition at the moment? Um, it's a bit of both, to be honest. I think our big goal at the start of the season was to be tough and resilient. That was our number one goal, and for never to give up. Like, and that word's cheap. Like, you could say that. You know, I think every team goes into the season with that kind of stuff. So, we tried to create an environment and a culture, even with my SNC. We put guys on our up weeks or our really big load weeks, we put guys through hell and we spoke about that. Like we went back to the boot camp, we went back to different things and, yeah, touched on that. But, yeah, until you actually live it and breathe it and everybody buys in, it's, yeah, as we go back to before, it's just words. But, yeah, I was very lucky this season to have some really good human beings in our club, like, Rob Pulavea, Phil Bradford, as you said, Morgan, Donnie Freeman, Connor, Winchess, like you could go, I could nearly rattle them all off, to be honest. Yeah. But yeah, in that camp, like we were still undecided as coaching stuff, who was going to be our captain. Like Phil, yeah, Phil Bradford's probably your natural first pick from anyone. He's the local hero, he's the local kid that's come through. He's a kid that spent four years traveling from Newcastle to Sydney three times a week to play because he was chasing his dream. And then he's lucky enough now to do it at home. He doesn't, that's, he takes, what was it, 15 hours of his week out. He doesn't have to sit in the car anymore. So it was amazing for him. But yeah, then in that camp, some of the things that Rob Pullivy said, uh, he's a very intelligent man. And he, what he reads in the rugby is amazing and puts a lot of homework into it. But yeah, just the way he held himself, got up and spoke at certain times. The coach, like me and Muggo and Pinko and Southern, who were the coaching staff there, 
yeah, we looked at each other and said, that's, that's your captain. Like he's just put his hand up and yeah. And then when I asked him two weeks later, he was shocked himself. Like he said, Oh mate, I'm, I've only been here this, like this preseason. I'm not, yeah, I'm not ready for it. And I said, no, mate, you are, you're the, you're the one that lead us through and yeah, he's done an amazing job and he's been, a, yeah, as I said before, he's an incredible human being. He's passionate, family orientated and just an all out and all really good bloke. How do you think the game's going? Obviously, watching a lot of the shoot shield this year, there seems to be certain trends that the winning teams are doing everywhere. Yeah. Have you obviously you've done a bit of a review on it? What what takeaways have you seen? Where's the game going? I mean, is this box kick style of <laughs> game? I, I mean, it works. So that's yeah. the job. Yeah, the job's to win. But is is that where it's heading? Do you think? Uh, I think it's all created because of the defensive patterns now. Like, there's so much analysis going into the games these days. And when you think there's 15 blokes on the field, there's not much space there. And if you've got a defensive team that don't commit to the breakdown, you have 15 in the line. There's there's not many ways through. Like, you can look at the little dink over the top or offload game or pop off the ground to try and create a faster ruck speed to nullify that defensive line getting set but yeah the way shoot shield's going now there's everyone's really fit everyone knows their shape in defense so yeah the only way to get down the other end is kick it so you can either kick long the opposition's got team to get set and then everyone works on transition so i believe the box kicks really come in so it's a contest 40 meters or 30 meters down the field and if you're good at it, it's a 50-50. So, yeah, that's – and I'm, I'm a big believer too. Like, I, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's very entertaining, but, but it's pain. The proof's in the pudding that you'll put in a 50-50 contest 35 metres down the field. You're going to take that every day opposed to running into a brick wall and trying to break down that defensive line particularly when you're running onto the ball and they're running backwards as well. Exactly. Yeah. What, what other things do you think a team needs in the current shoot shield to be successful? Oh, I, I honestly believe after a year of it doing it properly, I think it's fitness. Fitness, I believe, is the biggest key. Um, skill execution, but if you're not fit, your skill execution goes down straight away. But, yeah, then I'd say fitness, and then your next point is forwards. You've got to have a set piece. I think uh, all the stats of screaming out this season that line-out malls, defensive line-out malls were a massive one in the shoot shield. Uh, scrums, if you can't win your own scrum, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. That's for sure. So, yeah, I think set piece and fitness, and then obviously your skill execution, because it is a – it's a more expansive game than your super rugby or your, your top-level rugby's, I believe, because the ball gets thrown around a lot. But, yeah, well, probably key, sport, key points would be fitness, then going into set-piece, and then the rest all looks after itself. If you look at, um, if you look at the, the two teams that ended up at the top this year, the fitness, set-piece, good kick yeah. game skill execution yeah. and kind of ticked both those teams kind of ticked all the box well, and, and um, defensive structures i believe they yeah. were probably two of the best defensive teams in the competition yeah and and you know uni is the perfect example of all of those things and you know they were militant in their game plan and they ended up taking away coming away with it yeah and obviously i'm very close with hedge and he's good mate i don't know big too many secrets, but like I bounced a few ideas off him during the season. I was quite lucky enough. I've got a lot of or a few coaches that I'm close with and constantly can ask questions with. And I asked Hedge, like, how much ruck work do you do? How do you get such ruck speed? Like your speed of your ruck so consistent. He goes, mate, it's ingrained in them. Like I didn't have to do too much. It was already there before I got there. And as much as like I obviously knew to shoot shield myself and all you hear is anyone but uni, but I honestly take my hat off to them. The last 20 years, they've created an environment and uh, a, oh, a place that kids want to go to and learn because from for probably third grade cults right up to first cults and probably fourth grade up to first grade and grade, they're all learning, becoming better athletes, becoming better rugby players. 
I think every other club's just got to look at it and catch up to them, not not throw rocks at it. I agree totally. Like I fucking hate when people say anyone but uni because I don't yeah. want anyone but us to win. I don't yeah, want anyone exactly. else to win. <laughs> <laughs> 100%. You know? That's all. And, yeah. And you should be trying like, yes, they've got these resources, but every single yeah. club has different resources that they can tap into. And it's just about making the most of what you got, I think. Yeah, 100%. And, yeah. and I've spoken to a few of the uni people like, um, yeah, they they're not. They're happy to share their information, the same as most coaches. If you actually speak to them, go and be a good bloke about it. They'll share their information. There's no secrets in rugby. I really. That's what I find. Everyone. Everyone's open. Everybody wants the game to get better. And yeah, you've just got to be up front. Well, not up front, but just a good bloke and go and ask them and see what they're doing. I've, Maybe I've certainly found doing this podcast and just being, you know, my first couple of years as a coach. If you want to learn, people are very, very willing to share. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I find that, yeah, everyone is. but And you've got to do it the right manner. You can't be a, a wanker about it, that's yeah. for sure. You've got to go up and say it. And there's lots of things. Some people get carried away in that as well. They'll, they'll take the uni model and bring it back to their club and think it's going to work. Like You've got to break it down and what works for one club doesn't necessarily work for others. You've got to take the pieces out of it that'll yeah. work for you. Well, I, I guess as well, like, um, even though the Wildfires is a new club, there's still a culture around Newcastle and the people from Newcastle and the yeah. the history of, with, with the rugby there. So if you were trying to put a Sydney Uni program into, you know, the Steel City, yeah. it's just yeah. probably not going to work, but there's yeah. elements that will translate. Yeah, 100%. Like when we first started, or you go back to that 2020 and 2021, I was lucky enough to play in the Wildfires back in the 90s, the late 90s when we are in the competition, and we were the true blue-collar club. Like, we had guys, our captain, Stewie Jones, who was one of the hardest blokes I've ever seen play the game. Half the time he turned up the train in his work boots. He had steel caps on. He'd jog around for five minutes. Then he'd talk to the coach for 25 minutes. We'd play touch footy or something. And, yeah, it was, it was a totally different world than what it is now. But, um, yeah, they prided themselves on just being tough, never give up, and making sure the opposition knew they played a game when you'd finish. So we tried to install that, which we have. I think we have. Definitely. But, yeah, you've got to change with the times. And we're quite lucky enough now. We've got a really good corporate partnership with the Newcastle University, and they're nothing but supportive. They want – they're supportive of all sports in Newcastle, but they're really jumping on with us with our rugby union, because oh, without being biased, I think rugby union create really good human beings and educated and people that want to be better in life. So, yeah, they're really happy to become on board. And honestly, believe in I don't know the next five, ten years, we could model what Sydney Uni's done. But yeah, that's a long way away. It's um, yeah. Look, it, it's it's interesting seeing it inside and outside i think the perception of of the hunter wildfires has definitely changed this year whereas everyone knows that you're in a tough a tough game when you play them now and i don't think that um at the risk of sounding rude you could say that the previous couple of years yes yeah (laughs) how do you the shoot shield the expectations in the shoot shield have gone through the roof in the last 15 years but even the last five years i think yeah so now pretty much every club's got a full-time head coach. There's general managers, there's staff, there's all this sort of stuff around the, the fringes that you might not have had to worry about in 2015, for example. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I know you didn't have to for most clubs. Yeah. What's what's life like as a shoot shield head coach? I, I know a few professional coaches, as you do as well. And yeah. to me, looking at it, I think shoot shield might be the hardest level to coach at because there's more than just footy to take into account. Yeah. How, how, do you, how do you break down your week? How do you attack it? What's it, what's it like? Yeah, at the moment, like, uh, yeah, I don't want to sound like I'm whinging by all means. It, it's definitely still tough because we're, as I said, we're still building. At the moment, this year, we had myself and Stu Pinkerton as the GM who were, yeah, like we were the only full-time staff, Um we don't have – we have really good support staff, but we don't have many. Um, when you break it down, like we had one maybe – if you count the first two years that were a bit of what-ifs, but we're really only one year, one year old. And 
not what we're competing with, but what we've got here in Newcastle is pretty unique. There's 10 premier local clubs, which are really strong. Some are 50, 60 years old, really good traditions, and they're great clubs, and it's a great rivalry in that Newcastle area. But every person that's retired from rugby is a rugby tragic to that club. So they're, they're really tied to that club. So if you're looking at strappers, you're looking at water runners, volunteers, canine workers, setting up the ground, all those people in Newcastle are tied to that club, which is great. And we're not here to steal those people, but we now need to create an environment or a history as the years go on that our cult's parents or our um, girlfriends, wives, partners will start working the canteen or different things like that. We're, yeah, we're really struggling in that area. So we're constantly, as a coach, like, yeah, I'm not just coaching you. You're looking for volunteers. You're looking for jobs for players, um, counselling players. There's all kinds of different things that's really opened my eyes up. Like, started this year back in January. Like, I was picking people up from the airport, taking them to their, their house where they were living, driving around, picking up beds, taking them to... Kmart, buying sheets, pillows, all those kind of things. I think the first four months of my coaching career, I was yeah, I was uh, decorating houses and finding jobs and yeah, doing, yeah. One, even one couple, I had to pick up a baby cot and make up a cot for their little baby because they were flying in late at night from, uh, yeah, from a fair way away. And so it was, yeah, there's lots of learnings to get done, but... Hopefully, as time goes on, we get more volunteers, and I don't have to do that. Yeah, it's it's just it's just interesting for people to hear because you think you think of rugby coach and you're organising sessions and managing staff, and yeah. there's so much more that goes into coaching Shoot Shield. And I think most clubs would be the same these days. Yeah, you know, you've you've got your recruiting, your session plans, your medical staff, your assistant coaches, your game model. Like it's not it's not a twenty hour a week gig. It's a full-time or consuming 12 months a year fucking job now. Yeah, most definitely. And, uh, yeah, my wife's one that will testify to that. (laughs) Your your phone never stops. You're 24-7. It's, yeah, you turn your phone off for a couple hours, you turn it on, you'll have 20 messages there. And for some people that are ringing, their their one little problem is a massive drama. But in the whole scheme of things, it's... It's nothing really, and it can be solved straight away with a phone call. But at that point in time, that person wants to know and he wants his answer done straight away. How, what have you learned from that? So, you the last couple of years have been a part time coach, is, is that right? Yeah, this, this year, this year, full time with the wildfires. Yep. Is there is there a difference? Um, you probably take on more jobs. <laughs> um, obviously, before when I was a builder, it's yeah, and I must admit, them last three years of building, like I was going to work, I was subcontract. I was lucky I didn't have my own business. I was I finished my own business and I was just subcontracting to other builders because I couldn't do both that end coaching. And there's some days I was working eight hours on the tools, but literally by the end of the day, I'd say to the boss, mate, I'm only going to build you five hours today because I was on the phone for three hours of it or stuff like that. You just yeah, you couldn't lay in bed at night book it and billing the guy eight hours when you've stood on the phone and not worked. So you know, I was lucky enough I had an environment and a good employer that let me do that. But, yeah, it's definitely tough now being full-time. Yeah, I've got to – which is one thing I've in my review this season, prioritising and time management is massive. Like, you, like I know a lot of business people, I was never business academic at school or anything, but – yeah, blocking out times, certain things you've got to do and you've got to be ruthless on it and turn your phone off. Otherwise, yeah, you can get sidetracked. It might be one phone call, but by the time you come back to what you're doing, it was it was an hour ago. So that's one massive learn on learn thing that I've learned this season. Sorry, that wasn't very good English. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, you've got to be prepared. You've got to be strict and you've got to be, yeah, time management's massive. Yeah, I think particularly particularly as it's becoming more complex. And I was speaking to a mate of mine who's like an assistant coach at one of the other Shoot Shield clubs, and there's quite a high turnover of players. Yeah. There's, um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of competitions around the world that look at the Shoot Shield as a recruiting ground now. 
because the standard's gone up and the timing kind of works with a lot of the European competitions. How hard is recruiting? How hard is recruiting? How everyone has to do it. Um, yeah. I've, you know, but is it something that's just constantly ongoing or is it something that you plan months in advance? Like what's your approach with that? Uh, recruit, recruiting never stops. It's, yeah, it's right through the season, in season, out of season. Obviously some of the stronger clubs, guys go to them. Like even now, like I've, I've spent the last two weeks ringing schoolboys trying to build our Colts program because we believe we've got to build from the bottom up. We can't just keep bringing in the top. We've got to be self-sufficient from the bottom up eventually, which will come with time. But, yeah, we're bringing a lot of schoolboys at the moment. And, yeah, some of the clubs are just straight away, no, nah, mate, I'm going here, I'm going there, which I can understand. Like, that club's got history. They've got a really good program. Oh, mate. And even if you talk to them about, oh, mate, you might be third Colts, you might be something there. You can come here, you'll be in our top two Colts. You're not going to get seen at any rep honours unless you're playing first Colts. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you – yeah. Unless you're a good salesman, you're not going to recruit real well. And that's something I, I wouldn't say I'm good at. I definitely don't want to lie to kids or I don't want to give fake promises. You've got to be true to your word. There's no way in the world you can ring a kid and say, you're going to play first, otherwise – yeah, you're painting yourself into a I, th- I think any coach that does that is a fucking liar anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I believe most people now look through that as well. So, yeah, you've got to be honest. That's first and foremost. And there's really – there's no money. There's definitely no money in Shoot Shield, and that's one thing we've learned as a club as well. Like, it's – you're not worth spending the extra 100 bucks on a match payment to win that player off another club because at the end of the day, that player's probably not going to be there the year after. He's chasing that extra one ten dollars or whatever it is. They're not the people you want. You want you need to get the guys that want to build a build a culture, build a legacy, and do something special. And that's one thing we're really lucky. Like we, it's probably my biggest sale pitch. You, you can come to our club and create history. Like straight away, come here in 20, 50 years time. You can look back and say I was the original, one of the originals. So, and that takes a special human to do that generally all want to jump on something that's already done. So, yeah, it's we're, we're probably a few years away from reaching our potential, that's for sure. Do you think the Shoot Shield, like, as you just said before, there's no money in Shoot Shield, but the expectations and the time commitment has gone through the roof for everyone, coaches, players, staff, and, yeah. and it's, it's I, I think it's a very rewarding thing to be a part of. But for rugby to really reach the next level in this country, they've got the third tier there. I think the do you think yeah. that it's a matter of getting the money up to match the the time commitment and the expectations, and then that'll just keep going. Like, how, how do you see how yeah. do you see it how do you see it playing out down the track? Because I I feel like yeah. it's going to be an interesting couple of years for the Shoot Shield uh, in terms of a lot of clubs are going to struggle to field four grades and. And yeah, how, how do you see that all playing out? Yeah, I've, there's definitely smarter people around than me hopefully planning that. But yeah, I, I totally believe that. And there's always a, a long life uh, debate over Shoot Shield and hospital, the Queensland competition. Um, and I've watched a bit of that lately. Obviously, looking at recruitment, you watch a bit of that as well. But um yeah, like, and I know there was talk of a, the national club competition, so three of the best Queensland to three of the best Sydney, and then the travel for that would be the yeah we know as well just yeah exactly just being Newcastle we have to travel to Sydney every second week like our buses are forty grand a season so we're before we even start our budget we've got to put aside forty forty five thousand dollars just for getting to the game. So, yeah, but to do a national one, that's going to take a lot more money. Um, but, yeah, it's probably something Australian rugby can look at is – and everybody screams about it, grassroots rugby. So if you want to create that third tier, whether you, you divide it between us and Brisbane and look to support it that way because, yeah, as you said, it's practically a professional-run club now on uh, yeah, on a budget shoestring, there's no players getting paid. Even the coaches, the amount of time the coaches put in, support coaches, assistant coaches, our SNC program, like everybody's doing it as a loss. 
like a, yeah, if I was there for the money, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Like no, that's, yeah. taking, yeah, probably a 50% pay cut from my carpentry job to, to do what I'm doing. And you do it because you love it. That's for sure. But it's probably, yeah, I agree. It's something Australian rugby has got to have a look at and look at what they can to make it better. Yeah. I, I, I always tell the story. My first ever session at South, we had this old fitness trainer called Les Motto. He's a bit of a maniac. He still yeah. seen him hobbling around Cronulla. He's just a <laughs> just a wild boy. He goes, "All right, boys, get in the line. We're going to run half an hour nonstop, and then we'll we'll write down how far you run." So it was thirty minutes of nonstop running. And now yeah. every session, you've got players and GPSs. They get their high speed meters tracked. Yeah. You know, if you, if you do too much load, they pull you out of sessions. So so it's completely changed, even in the last fifteen years. Yeah, and but what hasn't changed, if anything, is the money's probably gone backwards. I would yes. say, yeah, um, especially for time. If you measure time put into it to what they're actually getting now, it's gone back massively. Yeah, so I, I think if Australian rugby really wants to have that third tier, I think it's there. I think it's there. The people are taking it very seriously. If you're actually in there. And the players are taking it seriously. People love it. Like the shoot shield's fucking massive now. Yeah. Um, I, I think they got to do something to get the money up to meet to match the expectations placed on people. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. One hundred percent agree. I don't know how you do it. Obviously, smarter yeah. people than us can work <laughs> yeah. it out. <laughs> yeah, it's- hopefully the Rugby World Cup can generate some money. Like yeah. hopefully that's a massive success. And I believe Australian rugby's in the, on the rise. It's definitely stepping up. Uh, there's lots more feel-good stories out there. But, um, yeah, hopefully the, the World Cup can generate some money and I, I just hope they spend it in the right places. Don't just go and buy 10 of the next best things. Well, I think we've got a Lions series as well. Yeah, exactly. So there should be a bit of money going around. How do you look at that Joseph Suwali situation? Oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't really have – he's an athlete. Like, mate, it doesn't matter what sport he plays, he's going to succeed. Like he could even maybe be the next Sonny Bill and go and start boxing and be good at that as well. So, yeah, yeah but he's a, he's a special freak. There's not many people like that. Like, he, his stature, he's, yeah, he's, oh, yeah, his skill level, how tall he is, he's just got it all. So, and, but, yeah, I, I honestly don't believe the amount of money that was getting spoken was actually offered to him. I think yeah, it could be just agents playing games. Yeah. Also, you look at you look at who writes the press. The rugby league, the rugby league, they own the, all the newspapers, so they're writing whatever they want to stick knives into rugby all the time. So, yeah, I don't I don't read too much into it. And yeah, the other thing as well is our women's sport. Like our women's rugby, the top tier, they don't get paid. The Wallaroos don't get a cent. So. Yeah, before you go spending a heap of money on those guys, I definitely think we're going to look at yeah our women's game because it's it's increasing massively and and they're actually good athletes. Like the women rugby players are as good as the men, and they put in as much time. So I know there's a lot of old dinosaurs, and a lot of people won't like to hear that. That's for sure. But what they're doing in the game is incredible. But if you look at the biggest area of growth in rugby, it's got to be the women's side of the game. Because the men's yeah. been established for a long period of time. And, you know, the Aussie Sevens obviously just won the World Cup this morning. Yep. Fucking awesome. Yeah, and that, exactly. that's just going to keep getting better and better. And if you look at all the other women's sports, they're now, a lot of them are now professional athletes. So I've, I think if rugby really wants to take women's sport to the next level, they probably have to start paying them yep. to make it aspirational for girls who go, oh, I can be a professional 15s player. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Look, our club, give our, our own little Wi-Fi, it's called the Pat on the Back. We actually, I think, besides us and the Western Force women team, the only team that pay their players, their lady players, it's not much money. Like, the girls definitely don't do it because they're getting paid because, yeah, it's bugger all money. But it's just the, yeah, the actual credibility to say that they get reimbursed for some of their time. Like at the end of the year, I don't think they've got enough to have an, an, a weekend out or a weekend away, but it's just the principle of it. And wherever we can help as a club, we're definitely trying to do that. And we're quite lucky we don't have the one to fifth grade or whatever the other clubs do. Well, there's first, seconds grade. We'll have first and seconds Colts next year and first ladies. So 
we've got a really big mantra of one club. We all train together the same nights, try to do as many barbecues and social events together. So, yeah, we're definitely very inclusive and I think it's the only way you can go forward. Absolutely. How's 2023 going to look, mate? How's your preparation going? What's uh, what's preseason going to look like? How's, yeah. uh, how are things shaping up? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually excited, to be honest. I've, uh, I've got another week of just finishing, touching up on our reviews. Then I'm off on a holiday for 10 days and then... Yeah, where, then it's where like, you going? Uh, up to Cairns and Port Douglas. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, which will be awesome. Take the family up there and get away. And then it's into, yeah, previewing or obviously recruitment. We've got to get all our recruitment right and, yeah, we'll have our budget hopefully sorted by then. And then we're, yeah, into recruitment and we'll look to kick off on the 5th of November. We've got an information day at the university for all our players. And then we start actually on field and in the gym training on the 7th of November. And goes up to Christmas and then kicks off yep. um, pretty heavy yeah. in the new year. Yep. We'll go up to the 18th of January, uh, 18th of December, sorry. And then we have a big Christmas party on that yep. Saturday. And then we break for three weeks and then we're back again. Mate, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, well, so mate, that, that's, that's all I had for you, mate. I, I feel like we got some good stuff out of that. I really wanted to give people an insight into what it's like coaching at the Shoot Shield now. Um, I think even a lot of the guys I played with don't really have an understanding of the commitment involved and um, what it's like to build a club from scratch, which seems to be a bit of a family business for you, you Collins, <laughs> at this point. So, mate, yeah. th- thanks, thanks heaps for that, mate. Let's, um, let's leave it there. You happy with that? Yeah, that's good, mate. Thank you very much for what you're doing and thank you for your time. Appreciate it, buddy. Okay, guys, thanks very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Can I please ask once again, if you get to this point, can you please subscribe to our YouTube channel? Can you also like, share, rate, do whatever you have to do on the video? That's truly appreciated. And can I also ask, can I also ask that you please follow us on social media at Wandering Bear Sports on Instagram and Facebook and at Caffeine Gum Australia on Instagram and Facebook. As always, guys, thanks very much. We're back next week with the other half of the Shoot Shield Coaches of the Year, Mr. Sean Hedger, which is an awesome episode and definitely a must listen uh, for anyone who's interested in coaching out there. Thanks very much, guys. Have a great week.